Hello and welcome to, we're now on episode seven of The Media Beat, and you know the form by now. Um, we have uh, Claire Tavernier, uh, media commentator expert, and um, Maureen Kerr, uh, lead our partner of the media practice and uh, media investment practice at Arthur D. Little, uh, to talk about the subject of the day. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Oliver. And hello, Claire. Hi, Oliver. Uh, you look both very well and ready to go. So I'll just run through some of the things we're going to be touching on. We're going to be talking about the ad, the ad-funded tier at Netflix, um, how the economics of that work. Uh, probably touching, therefore, on Disney Prime as a comparator. Uh, we'll be talking about revenue generally um, and how young people are cheating, having to pay for their uh, video services. We'll touch on uh, a bit of uh, YouTube, how... Uh, podcasts work on YouTube, social media, the 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 new kid on the block, be real, content wars and pricing, uh, and the new blockbusters that are coming through based on other uh, blockbusting series. Uh, and Maureen's been to the IBC conference in Amsterdam, where she had a very good time and got involved in some interesting discussions. And we'll have a, a debrief on that, as well as our usual long short at the end of the ep but let's uh, dive straight in uh, maureen uh can you please explain a little bit more we've touched on it before but about this new potential for adverts on netflix and how's that going to work uh, commercially yeah absolutely uh, so we've all seen and we've spoken about this in the uh, previous eps uh but uh, that netflix has sort of saturated its uh it, 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 the market and has hit the sort of ceiling for uh, subscribers. So is now looked to uh, an advertising funded um, platform. So Avod, um, as as has uh, Disney. So Disney Disney announced that uh, to our surprise, to the market's surprise, that this ad funded uh, layer uh, is going to be chargeable. So uh, that was a big surprise. We just all assumed it was for free. Um, uh, they're going to announce there's, um, they're, sorry, they're going to launch their platform December the 8th and Netflix uh, probably uh, soon after. Uh, but Netflix has now come out and said uh, that they would also be charging for that service. So you've got Disney at around $7.99. Very positive. They've said $7.99 per month. Uh, Netflix gave a range of $7.99 to nine. Um, And this is, whoa, nobody expected that. And it seems on the high side. Um, so that's a bit of a news for us. Uh, but more importantly, it's all that inventory of advertising is coming on stream and already a, a busy marketplace. Uh, but they're expecting uh, CPMs, so the costs that they will charge to advertise on their platforms, of a staggering $65 um, to $80. Management aspire for $80. And frankly, that means they're in the high, high, high premium strata of the uh, of the advertising world so watch this space <laughs> that's my view so they're the facts um uh, uh claire what do you think were you as surprised as me i, w- I was i was surprised uh at that you it felt like a u-turn because i i thought they were quite clear that the ad funded tier was going to be free it seemed to me at least that that was clearly the message and uh they, that they've obviously changed their mind uh, I have heard that they have 
uh, already sold quite a lot of that inventory, certainly in the US. And I suspect that's because of Christmas to some extent. And you can understand why they want to launch uh, in December. That's a very good time to launch some advertising inventory. Uh, so I have heard two things. I've heard that they've, they've, they are expecting to do very well in the first quarter of trading because they've already had a lot of interest for that first big push. And the question that people are saying is what will happen once the excitement dies down? Can they can they convert this? Can can they maintain this sort of numbers? I also heard that my, so Netflix, you'll remember, uh, has done a big deal with Microsoft, which people were a bit surprised about. And uh, Microsoft are the people selling the inventory for Netflix. And I guess this is obvious, but I hadn't quite realized Microsoft's paid quite a significant advance. So, uh, in fact, that was one of the key deciding factors for Netflix to go with Microsoft because they were offering, I think, something like three times the advance of their nearest competitor. And so, in a way, for Netflix, it doesn't really matter because they've got the money already for the equivalent of, I don't know, definitely several months, if not several years of trading. So, it's, it's financially, it's Microsoft rather than Netflix that's on the line here from a revenue perspective, which changes the equation a little bit. It makes it more logical for Netflix to try and keep those CPM as high as possible because in a way they don't they don't care and they definitely don't want to devalue the value of what they're offering. It's also, these are huge, there's very high CPM. I mean, as a point of comparison, the average CPM on YouTube is around $1 to $5 and they are going at $65 to $80. So that's the sort of range we're talking about. But if you compare them with TV uh, ad, uh, rev ad revenues, they're not crazy. So I think the, the message here is to say we are not going for the YouTube type of revenues. We're going for the TV revenues. That's a reasonable uh, position. It remains to be seen whether they can, they can long-term fulfill that inventory. But as I said, I was... Um, I sort of revised my opinion on Netflix. They may, they may be... They may be doing this in quite a smart way and they're not on the line for the money in the way that I had uh, thought they were. Just uh, for uh, the layman, when you say CPM at $65, what does that actually mean? So CPM very confusingly means cost per thousand. So they, you know, for every thousand people who sees the content, the advertiser pays $65. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. But by comparison, in terms of the TV, I saw some stats for just to change the continent and change the uh, change the player. So Amazon, Amazon took on the Thursday night football or soccer in the US, uh, the NFL. Uh, previously, it was uh, it was Fox that was delivering up um, uh, that, uh, and they are for the commercial spot uh, charging. Six hundred thousand dollars for for that little spot, commercial spot, just by comparison. So wow. when you put it in context, you know, <laughs> there's a lot Who's of it? brands that want to get a lot of messaging to to a big audience, and potentially if Netflix starts to show reporting, you know, its audience, uh, and we start to get visibility of that audience as well. Um, this could somehow justify those, but the proof will be in the pudding when they need to start reporting of, uh, uh, you know, who is watching it, when are they watching it, and which shows, around which shows, yeah. 
So I also heard they weren't going to report numbers, or they're still not confirming that they will report numbers, which is crazy. It's quite shocking, really. But I mean, I guess they'll wait as long as possible. They'll try to avoid it at all costs. It goes back to my conspiracy theory that Microsoft is going to buy Netflix. Well, yes, <laughs> that is uh, information from Microsoft. <laughs> if it's a man. I think if we keep talking about it, it will happen for sure. <laughs> I think it's one of those. I think it's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, told, I told six people at dinner and six people at dinner told their other six. And then those six told their 12 and those 12, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sorry, Oliver. No, no. I was just going to say, I don't, I, I don't fully understand the Netflix, Microsoft um, coming together. How, how, how does that, how does that happen? Um, what what gives what um, advantage does it give either organisation? What are they what are they what are they looking for in each other? Diversification and the fact that Microsoft has got a significant amount of revenue associated with advertising. It is the quiet one in the corner that everyone just right. thinks that Microsoft owns LinkedIn and they're just doing some adverts in LinkedIn. That's not the case. Uh, you know, it's a significant amount of money uh, that they earn through advertising and. Uh, Lo and behold, Netflix is going down the route of advertising. So diversification. Also, yeah. And remember that the world is moving towards uh, what we call first-party data, meaning the main goal of any large company is to have as many direct subscribers as possible because then you have the data and you own it and you don't depend on anybody else to give you cookies or anything like that. And, and Microsoft already has an enormous database of users for their software business from LinkedIn, which remember they bought a few years ago, etc. But Netflix is yet another fantastic source of logged in users, which is in itself a very valuable currency. It's amazing that Google didn't share million. interest actually, because they're the ones that normally, uh, are at the forefront of grabbing data about people, but uh... everybody thought that it uh, it would go to to Google. So mm. it was either Google or uh, uh, and then it went to the uh, Peacock, which is part of Comcast, NBC, uh, and everyone kind of thought, oh well, uh, as a competitor, so why would they? Uh, and of course, mm. uh, Disney went with the Trade Desk, which is the uh, preeminent uh, programmatic advertising exchange. So. You know, Google was definitely in the running, but clearly, as 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 Claire alluded to, uh, if that if that advance that was provided by Microsoft and Netflix guaranteed, you know, any errors, any mistakes, then well, you'd go with Microsoft. Clearly, a competitive edge and no direct competition. Um, and talking of Disney, uh, we, we, you were talking about bundling. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that, Maureen? Yeah. So, so, so Disney announced. Um, uh, I think it was last week. Uh, that they might they may be considering uh, a, a, a bundling proposition like like Amazon Prime, you know we all sign up annually and we get we get our Audible we get our our, our, our clothing the next day we get our uh, we get our video and we get our video content um, and of course if you look at the assets sitting within Disney they've got theme parks they've got merchandise they've got programming you know um, they are looking at an annual license. Uh, sorry, an annual fee uh, to cover all those services. So I think it's a smart idea and one that's probably quite late in the day that they're considered. But um, yet again, though, from a consumer perspective, it's like one more 
one more subscription. However, if you think about the aggregation, I think it's a smart move. So everything is tucked in nicely. So when they go on their sort of Disney, they go on their trips to theme parks, it's all covered. Uh, they, they, they get their delivery. Uh, sorry, uh, they get their uh, um, access to programming. You know, it's all covered. So smart move, in my view. Yeah, it's funny when I decided to go with Amazon Prime, it wasn't for the um, it wasn't for the video actually. It was for the free postage and postage tomorrow because I'm yeah. so impatient to get my uh, get my light bulbs delivered the next day or whatever. Sorry, you were saying, Claire? No, that's exactly what I was saying. Amazon's been killing the competition via bundling for the last twenty years, so they know all about it and they've actively bundled, bundled, bundled. It's a smart uh, strategy, and I think it makes sense for Disney to do it. It's quite limited geographically to the US because that's the only market where they really be able, they have enough of a footprint in terms of channels, services, theme park, merchandise, etc., to really offer this at scale. So I think it will be a, as as they say in the US, a domestic strategy rather than something they can export at least in the short term. But it does make sense in the US. It's also coming at a point where uh, the uh, I read I just read this incredible stat about the US consumers being completely overwhelmed with the with the amount of content they are receiving from streaming platforms. The study uh, says from uh, I think it's a, it's a Plex, which is a streaming media platform. The study revealed that the average American has thirteen TV shows and sixteen movies on their watch list, averaging a total of one hundred and four hours. This is the sort of thing that they have put on their list and said we really must watch this, and they are. They are getting to the point where this is a cause of stress now and not of enjoyment because there's so much <laughs> they have to get through. So I think we will see more churn. We, and, you know, with the cost of living crisis coming on, we will see more and more people going like, well, I just can't deal. I don't need all this because I genuinely cannot even physically go through the content. And so I, they, then, then they will potentially choose those platforms, as you say, that provide other services like Amazon Prime. So it's, 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 it is a smart strategy from Disney. Um, yeah, I never thought of that. It's the um, embarrassment of riches or the, the the stasis of too much choice. I'm the same. I've got about 37 books I need to read, and it does make you stressed. It's like, oh my god, another 37 things to do. Oh no, hang on, I don't have to do that. That's what I do in my leisure time. Um, it leads us quite nicely on to the revenue question and how people are not only consuming but how how they're paying for it. Um, there was something we were talking about. Uh, was it 5% of 18 to 25-year-olds are not paying for their video on-demand services? Something like that? Um, password sharing, etc. 65%. 65% of 18 to 24-year-olds are admitting to Lad Bible uh, using someone else's streaming service login details. Well, that's, you know, basically university students. And, you know, if you think about it, I have two university students. They are definitely using my password. They're not going to be paying for a subscription. More worryingly, when you move to the 35 to 44-year-olds, you still have 27% of people who say they're using somebody else's password to access content. So that's a lot. It's a lot of people not, not paying for content. It's, it's quite surprising that it, it's so lax. I mean, it's quite easy technologically um, to um, restrict the amount of people logging on 
with the same account on different devices. I mean, technically, that's a uh, that's a relatively easy thing to do. Is that something that has been lax up to this point and is likely to be tightened up now because that's millions and millions and millions of dollars being wasted by people, um, ooh, you could almost say stealing? It, yeah, there was a there was a, a fascinating um, a fascinating analyst report that was issued about a week and a half ago uh, that 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 looked at this because I mean everybody everybody was sort of bemoaning the fact that oh not again you know the streamers including Netflix are coming out and saying that you know their results are poor uh, because you know password sharing and we must get a handle on that and I think everyone just thought that 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 was an excuse. But actually, this particular analyst, he ran the numbers and said that for every, you know, if you look at the sort of 200, 200 million, you know, 200 million subscribers, if, if they could only take control over 10 million, uh, you know, the, the, the one to two points, percentage points on the earnings would be significant. You mm. know, so, so I think taking control, taking control over the password sharing is front and centre now uh, a priority for uh, Netflix. And that, that would be the case for, I think, everybody else. Yeah, because they can see now direct correlation with they, the analyst community are looking at that now and will monitor that and can see the uplift on earnings. Albeit, as soon as you go into an advertiser-funded world, you also have a sort of contrary answer incentive, which is you want as many views as possible and especially younger viewers because they are very advertiser-friendly. So it's that problem that, you know, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot by decreasing, you know, it's by losing these 65% of 18 to 24-year-olds who will definitely not pay for Netflix if they have to uh, because they are, very, they are very easy to sell to advertisers. But you do want to get rid of those 27, 35 to 44-year-olds who can, who can probably afford their subscription and are not paying it. So it's going to be an interesting balance, I think, of how hard they come down on to where. This is a classic. It's another. Everything comes down to the data. That, that's what we would call in the AI world an optimization problem. Um, a lot of AI, a lot of AI is like categorization. So when you Google green cat, green cats come up because they've been categorized by the AI or prediction. What are my revenues going to be? But this is like an optimization problem, which says, to what extent do I have to be really strict with password sharing? So I lose a lot of viewers, but I gain, I gain, uh, uh, I gain revenue per user. And yet, how much of that will I lose in terms of the advertising pickup, particularly as as the unit of payment is number of people watching um so I, I again this every time i i hear you tell me what's going on i just think classic ai data-driven problem uh, not not even that difficult in fact i mean difficult in the sense you'll need a lot of data and collecting that is not straightforward but actually quite a straightforward problem in that there are competing factors and uh, and a, a relatively easy to calculate revenue ai is a lot easier to deal with with numbers than it is with like text or photographs of green cats or whatever how interesting um the other thing that you mentioned as well claire was with potentially a recession coming if it's not already here uh, people tightening their belts and the barriers to switching service then becomes a thing 
Um, how easy can you chop and change between Netflix and Disney and Prime and Apple? Or how, how quickly can you change between newspapers? Uh, newspapers notoriously make it hard for you to uh, remember that you've got a free month subscription and then suddenly you're paying for it. Uh, that barrier, barrier to switching services, that's a factor as well, particularly in recessionary times, Claire, yeah? Yeah, and there are very low. There are very low barriers to switching. The, 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 the biggest barrier is inertia. It's not quite enough for people to remember it's there. And so they don't quite realize that it creeps up and they have four or five or six subscriptions and they're $10 each or £10 each. And so basically they're paying £60 a month. Uh, but in times of recession, when you go through your budget line by line, you will notice. And I have people, uh, I've had people say to me, I cycle through them now. I'll take Netflix for two months and I'll watch whatever there is to watch and then I'll interrupt my subscription and I'll take Disney for two months and I'll watch whatever I want to watch and then I'll go back to the first. And that's a really interesting strategy, which you couldn't do, for instance, with Spotify because you're linked to your playlist. The cost of switching from Spotify is much higher because you have your playlist, you listen to the same music over and over again. But for Netflix, you have probably on your watch list 10 shows that you want to watch. If you've got it for two months, you can get through the 10 shows, stop it for a while, go to somewhere else. And there are no penalties for switching over so, or to, for stopping. The, the, and in fact, you might actually get a better deal if you stop and go back because you might get a free month or a free week or whatever. So, yes, I think we're going to see a lot more of that as people try things for a few months, go through the burn through the content and then move to something else. And that's going to lead us quite nicely onto the content wars because it becomes central and essential for both retention and acquisition to have the best, most talked about content all the time. Otherwise, people just won't stick with you. And we've got a, a couple of biggies, haven't we, in terms of content wars? Let's, yeah, again, let's go on to that. So this uh, Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings thing, which I have watched precisely zero seconds of. Uh, the only ever interaction I've had with Tolkien's world was the first three pages of The Hobbit, which I then put down as a 12-year-old thinking, I don't really care about this little hairy man that much. And then House of the Dragons, that's a prequel, right, to uh, Game of Thrones. What's the, uh, what's the mood yeah. music in the successor or otherwise of those two projects? So the, back, so the background to this is an interesting one. Um, um, probably, what, five years ago, five, six years ago, six years ago, Amazon paid a stonkingly vast amount of money, um, like $800 million or something, $700 million, uh, for Lord of the Rings uh, uh, estate. And um, and then now it's come to the fore where it, 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 it's, uh, it's carved up uh, these programming by, by episodes, which is probably double or triple uh, the cost per ep that Game of Thrones cost, you know, or, or, or Stranger Things cost. Uh, and so it's a staggering amount of money that's been put to uh, put put to this programming. Um, so so they, they, they need viewers, uh, desperately need viewers. They need viewers not to switch off. They need viewers to uh, be totally engaged because we also got another uh, point that we understand why shows are cancelled. Uh, Netflix has given us a little bit of insight into, um, I think it's a Squid Games where 80% completion rates um, as opposed to like a 30 or 40% for other programming, which in turn then the whole show was cancelled. 
So these 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 guys are looking very carefully and monitoring the completion rates and, and monitoring and ensuring that they get return on their investment. Um, but I, but but Claire, I know you were talking earlier. Um, I haven't yet seen the program, but I was talking to someone else who anecdotally said after three hours they were bored stiff, couldn't empathise with a female character, for example, and just thought I'm switching off. So let's we wonder how this is going to play out. Claire, I don't know yeah. what your view is. On I mean, I think it's 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 more than viewers. People they they don't need audiences; they need fandoms. They've the those the powers that be have basically decided with some data to back this up that that the thing that people will stick with are the fandoms. So if you're a Marvel fan, you will stick with Marvel even when it gets really bad, which it is at the moment. Uh, if you're a DC fan, you will watch any incarnation of Batman. If you are a if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you will watch House of Dragon. You might moan about it, but you'll watch it. And if you're a Tolkien fan, you'll watch um, The Rings of Power. Now, I think that's true, except I am a massive Tolkien fan. Full disclosure, I've watched all extended editions of the movies, including the, doc the director commentary, and I've read all the books, and I still haven't seen the Amazon thing. I'm not sure I'm definitely a typical um, a typical viewer, but I, I think that specific fandom is a little bit more diffused than something like Game of Thrones. That being said, the you know that's that's the strategy, that's the investment. We're investing in fandoms. We're we're investing in existing fandom. We're creating new fandoms. That is what we want to do. The risk when you have so much money at your disposal and so much at stake is that you're going to create something that is appealing to the largest audience possible and ticking the most boxes possible while still it's a sort of i mean i'm not going to say it's a by the number thing and i haven't watched it but i but there is a little bit of that we need to show that we've we're diverse enough we need to show that we're you know faithful to the original material we need to sh get a little bit of controversy in but not too much because then we get articles written about us but we don't turn people off uh and there's a sort of like way to do these things that has become a little bit manufactured and it's true of these two series but it's true of every single you know whether it's the new harry potter movies it's interesting actually the new harry potter movies are based on a book that was a textbook in the original books right the the new um lord of the ring thing is based on the appendices of the original book the house of dragon is based on a prequel that didn't even exist so they're extending these brands let's not even talk about the obi-wan series on uh, Disney, you know, they, they're extending these fandoms to a point where there's very little original material remaining. And yet there's such a busy universe around it that the margin for maneuver is quite limited in terms of storylines. And that's sort of, I think, what we're seeing here. But it's getting viewers. People are viewing it. People, most importantly for both Amazon and HBO, are talking about it. It is making... It is creating discussions, creating conversations, and that's very, very central to their strategy. So from that perspective, I think for now, it is relatively successful. 
This fandom thing is so interesting, isn't it? It's like once you're a fan, you've almost got no choice but to consume anything that's associated with that franchise. And they moan about it because that's something to do as well. You can go on the message boards on the internet and say, isn't it awful? Yes, it's terribly awful. I can't wait for the next episode of this awful thing. I mean, isn't there a law of diminishing returns at the end of the day? I remember if you look at the sort of Fast and Furious or the Police Academy franchises, there's that known drop-off between Police Academy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and 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 finally the end it, it, does that not does that not occur in fandom or will people who love star wars will watch any spin-off of star wars uh until it's utterly hopeless how does it work is it a different type of person no no it dilutes enormously as it moves and especially as what well, star wars is a great example actually star wars went through several phases of fandom and dilution the original trilogy and then a bunch of horrible animations, sequels in the sort of, I guess, early 90s that really kind of killed the brand. There was also a lot of a lot of books at the time. Uh, and then there was the, the reboot, the prequel that came out and that relaunched again. And then there was another bunch of dilution. There were uh, video games and various other things to which sort of not didn't quite kill it again, but definitely slowed it down. And then it was rebooted once again with another trilogy of movie. But and now they've really gone full out in a way that, that was never done before with you know movies, animation, uh, ongoing series, high budget things. And it's too much. It will it will die. It may well be redis- not die. It will go where it's you know good content comes to rest until somebody else discovers it in 10 years time and does something with it. But it's, it's not, it's even the, the last couple of, um, of shows that Disney plus launched on, on star Wars just did not get the airtime, even though I think I didn't watch them. I think they were okay, but there was saturation. People were like, you know what? I can't do another star Wars thing. Marvel is not far from there, honestly. And uh, we'll see what happens with house with those two. They are slightly fresher. These two, these two um, franchises, the Dragon and, and Lord of the Rings, because they they don't have this sort of long history be- before. But uh, yeah, there, there's a, there's there's a limit. There's a saturation point. Absolutely. If you want to see where the utter saturation point is of um, of Star Wars, um, I urge you to Google the Star Wars Christmas Special. Uh, which is legendary show, uh, live action show, where they did a Christmas special with all the stars looking incredibly uncomfortable because they all knew this was a complete turkey. And I think there was like dancing Wookiees or something. Uh, obviously, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, I, I highly recommend Googling Star Wars Christmas special, probably something around 1980, mid-1980s. Absolutely hilarious. And uh, a franchise stretched to its elastic limit. Uh, Maureen, you look like you uh, want to want to add something. Uh, no, I'm going to I'm going to um, I'm going to plant this question for for Claire to consider for the next episode. Uh, but uh, given that we're talking about peaks uh, in in film and franchises uh, in the film industry, um, I, I, I know Claire knows uh, very well the peaks and troughs and when you need to let certain um, formats and programming in the TV industry when you need to let them rest. And, and, and then when is that resurrection moment? And the reason I say that is because my f- most favourite of, of titles where, is when, when Farmer Wants a Wife. Uh, uh, <laughs> you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my friend wrote that. Yeah. 
wrote that for my Congress wrote this. And exactly. come back 10 years later. Yes, we can definitely talk about that. This is a teaser for the next episode. And we will tell the story of World Idol in that episode, which exactly. is where, yeah, exactly. A very good example of what not to do. But yes, there is, um, oh yes, this is what I want to say. The, another great example of saturation is Galaxy Quest, which was obviously a Star Trek uh, parody and is now accepted as canon in the Star Trek universe because it turns out it was one of the better movies <laughs> about this sort of Star Trek environment, which I think is hilarious. It's also a very good movie. I urge you all to watch it. I'm a fan. Yeah. Funny enough, I was wondering about uh, canon. When you said canon then, Claire, uh, I don't know what qualifies as, as canon. Uh, if you look at the the Star Wars, for example, I know the canon is the nine films, isn't it? The three originals and three prequels and the three subsequent ones. Well, some some people, I mean, I wouldn't want to go down that route, but some people include the Clone Wars movies into canon. Of the don't. Rogue One is a very important. Do they do? Will they want? They kind of thing. Yes, it's it's a, it's it. This you can definitely Google that and go into a very big dark hole of what is canon and what isn't. Um, yeah, but yes, it used to be fairly obvious, didn't it? It used to be it was basically the story of Darth yeah. Vader, really. Uh, and anyway, that's slightly off topic. So you're yeah, moving to um, different media types. So we're, uh, we 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 have talked before about YouTube and their desperation to get subscribers to the point where it's really irritating going on YouTube at the moment because you don't deliver my parcels for free YouTube. What else are you giving me apart from free videos of people falling into children's paddling pools? But there's a lot more, you might say, proper content going on. There are a lot of podcasts now going on YouTube, which always seems strange to me. I mean, although the three of us are extremely nice to look at, what is the advantage of having a video podcast over a podcast? It's, all, it's only the words that's the value, right? It's quite, it's quite strange. But there just seems to be that, that movement towards podcast on video, Claire. Yes. Well, yes, there seems to be uh, an interesting certainly resurgence of interest for podcast and video, which is really just, uh, you know, a chat show, but let's, let's call it video podcast. Why not? And uh, I think the, the reason is a move away a little bit from audio. There's a saturation. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say there's a saturation of audio formats right now. There's only so much audio you can listen to every day and there is so much of it, but you can watch a lot of things. And maybe the video podcast is eating not into the audio podcast entertainment time, but into the other video consumption entertainment time. That's what I would assume. So when you would be, uh, instead of watching other other videos, you'd be watching a video podcast and you still have your audio, separate audio podcast listening. I think uh, certain, certainly certain podcast hosts, I mean, I'm sure this will happen to you at some point, Oliver, have become quite famous and kind of want people to know their faces as well as their voice. <laughs> uh, so so disappointing uh, comments I can see, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what it looks like. Uh, but yes, a lot of uh, podcasts uh, are now available on as video feeds as well as audio feeds. Maybe we should put our podcast on YouTube, Oliver. You'll have a think about that. But and yeah. and uh, YouTube is is has decided that this was a good content strategy for them. There seems to be a lot of moving parts in YouTube's content strategy right now. I don't know if you saw Maureen that Robert Kinsel who'd been at the helm of YouTube's premium content strategy for the last fifteen years. I want to say has now left. 
So I don't know what that means for that. But and also Cecile has left. There's a lot of people who were doing content for YouTube that have moved on. Um, they have continued to push their premium subscription, but also have absolutely not revealed any numbers, which in YouTube terms means they don't have subscribers, I think, or certainly the numbers are not big enough for them to want to talk about them. Uh, so it's probably not been a hugely successful strategy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they're seeing it as it's, they, they know because they can see the stats. They know that there is traffic there. They've talked a lot and pushed a lot, the kids content and the music, which were their two big areas of, of premium content for a while. And this may well be another thing that they can sell to advertisers as premium content and potentially try to bundle as a premium subscription package. Yeah, I guess I would add two things to that. Yeah, I, I've noticed this uh, this move from uh, you know audible uh, audio audio sorry uh, uh, cast to to video cast on, on YouTube, and I've and I and I've um, you know I've kind of enjoyed them uh, anecdotally. I've enjoyed them because it's, it's it's been more the political journalists or the independent journalist that has the big microphone, you know, the professional microphone. And then talking to somebody else in in, in either uh, a, a, on on a Zoom or in studio, and it tends to be on on a Zoom, and and I kind of am drawn in uh, because uh, I now see the face, I now uh, you know kind of enjoy looking at the enormous microphone. And, uh, this is what, <laughs> and we have to say at this moment that oh, Oliver yeah. does have an enormous microphone. He does have no, an enormous microphone. <laughs> it could always be and, bigger. And, it's not as big as Joe Rogan's. Joe Rogan's got the no. uh, microphone the size of a Volkswagen. Uh, so the, the second point I wanted to make was, uh, yeah, Claire, I think I think you're right. I mean, YouTube Red, uh, they did they did disclose those uh, numbers. That was the subscription service uh, that they promoted, uh, I don't know, seven eight years ago, uh, and they, I think they only max they only got to a maximum of a million subscribers. I mean, quite pitiful, really. Um, and they, I think they switched that off quite quickly. Um, so I think they're just experimenting. I think they had the uh, license to experiment as well. So yeah, yeah it's an interesting yeah. one. I must say, I I, I don't I, yeah I, I don't watch podcasts a lot. But when you do, when it when a comedian's on, it's good. Uh, when a comedian's been interviewed, you get a lot more from seeing them uh, generally as well as the um, as well as the, the the noise coming out of their mouth. So there's a, a few new things on social media. So this this section's going to age very badly if Be Real becomes incredibly famous or indeed if Be Real dies because it'd be like looking back at a podcast a few years ago when they're going, there's this thing called Twitter. Uh, and I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to take off. Um, but yeah, there's uh, this new Be Real thing, uh, which um, anybody with kids seems to know about. I I'm on it, but but all the people I'm following are just like my daughter's age. So it's all a bit, it's all a bit weird. But Be Real is this thing. Well, actually, you described it, Claire. You described it very well when we spoke before. Yeah, it's a, I'm on it um, for, because of my I know. kids. And now I follow you, Oliver, uh, which is brilliant. And and Maureen, we've convinced Maureen to go on it. It's 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 an interesting app because it's been growing, it's been around for a couple of years actually. It was it was launched in 2020, but it really took off virally in the last six months, I want to say, among young people. And it is meant to be this incredible the opposite of Instagram. There's no filter. It, you'll get a prompt at some point in, in during the day. And at that point, you need to take a camera, a picture, and the 
clever gimmick is that it takes a picture with both your front and back camera at the same time, which makes it very difficult to have a, f a flattering angle, I have to say, on the selfie, but never mind. The, that makes, uh, and, and the idea is this is where I am and this is what's in front of me and uh, at this very moment in time. Now, of course, people are still staging them a little bit and not necessarily responding to the, to the prompt at the exact moment where it's launched, but still, it's a closed environment. It's not about getting a lot of followers. It's very immediate. It disappears after 24 hours. It's a very different take on social media. And it seems to resonate very much with a bunch of people because it's suddenly become very popular. Interestingly, both Instagram and Snapchat have announced that they were working on dual camera um, uh, versions of their of their live stories. So clearly they've they've decided there was something in there that they needed to copy. Will it continue? Will it die? I don't know. It's right now it's having a moment. It was interesting. I was in the street the other day when my B wheel went off and I could see around me, you know, a number of people taking their phone out at that very moment because they were following the so it's you were getting to a point where it's a, it's something that uh, you notice. We, we shall see, it lacks a lot of features. It's very, very basic, and the platform is not entirely stable, uh, but it's an interesting experiment, and it's, it's, it feels fresh. I think that's what people are, re are responding to. It feels fresh. It's French. It's actually a French startup. I, I think it's going to go the way of Wordle. I'm going to make my prediction now. I think it's, it's oh, yeah. really nice. Uh, it's going to fade a lot, and then there'll be some really hardcore. It's still hardcore Wordlers, but I think it'll have its moment, and then die. that's my prediction. What do you think, Maureen? Do you agree? Well, I'm a hardcore core wordle as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm trying. Oh, oh, here we go. Time sensitive. Time to be real. Uh, I've got two minutes left to capture a be real and see what your friends are up to. I like it, but I'll put it down and I'll do it later. <laughs> no, no, so, that's uh, the whole point. Yeah, anyone who's done a post to be real late and they look particularly glamorous, highly suspicious. I've got uh, a yeah. niece who's. Um, who's very glamorous normally, and she posts okay. really real be reels, and I think she quite enjoys it. Um, are you actually posting right now, Maureen? Looks like yeah. you are. Okay. This is not the most brilliant podcast content, um, <laughs> imagining what it's like to see a lady taking two photographs. Have you managed to do it? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah, that's good. Indeed. Oh, I might take a screenshot of that. Excellent. That is your life that's in weird. pixels. Um and you've been traveling, Maureen. You've been to Amsterdam and you've been to the IBC conference. Yeah. How was that? I have. I have indeed. And the conference itself was absolutely amazing. My travel there and back was absolutely awful, but I'm not going to bore you with that. So two things, two things that featured uh, for IBC. Uh, I'm speaking at a pace because it was about fast. And then the second <laughs> thing uh, was, uh, which um, I haven't yet shared this with you guys, but everyone was talking about ABBA, ABBA Voyage. And what is the bloody underlying technology that's a well-kept secret for Voyage? Um, and it's so ABBA Voyage is uh, an enormous stage and an auditorium that can shift from one city to the other. And the female person, Catherine, I've forgotten her surname, that founded the idea, uh, executed against that idea, has done a stonkingly good job. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I can't get tickets. <laughs> um, I think it's expensive. Um, but everyone's talking about it's not just hologram, it's something else. So it was used as an example uh, in the whole context of the metaverse, immersive technologies, uh, you know, AI and the like. Uh, so um, 
that for me was fun fact but that on the more serious one it was around fast and fast channels everyone was talking about that which is the free advertising supported television uh, which in my view is synonymous with um linear television but I, i'll leave it like that uh claire Yes. So a friend of mine went to Abba Voyage in London and she absolutely had the best time of her life. So, but it was a lot of money. Uh, Fast is interesting because it, what it is, is, is it's basically a streaming TV channel. Although it's sometimes, it, some definitions include on demand as well, but the most basic definition includes, you know, a TV channel, but delivered via streaming and ad supported and free. So really television. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> the model of Pluto TV amongst others. Uh, I think it's one of these things, and IBC is an interesting conference because it's, it's quite techy in many ways. Uh, it's one of the things people get very excited because it's possible now. I, you know, for a long time, it was very difficult to do free streaming linear television content because there wasn't enough bandwidth and you know you couldn't stream to a lot large number of people at the same time and now it's possible yay but is it needed i am not sure if i'm completely honest um i you know it's it's well for one it's not very environmentally friendly compared to broadcast television which is actually quite environmentally friendly uh until we still have broadcast television and it, we have quite a lot of channels there so whether this is the delivery mechanism of the future, I'm not sure. Whether it's a way for new TV channels to launch, I think discovery will be really tricky because how do you know they're there and how do you find them? How do you then, uh, will you remember to go and, and, and check out what's on, what's on the schedule then? I don't know. Um, I'm still slightly skeptical, if I'm honest. It feels like a tech-led innovation rather than a need-led innovation. I think that's a perfect uh, summary. I think I agree with you. And just to be clear, broadcast TV is more environmentally friendly. Is that because less electricity is used to send a wave? No, it's not even. You're, you're talking about digital broadcast, aren't you? So it, digital broadcast is more environmentally friendly than streaming. Is that is that what you're saying? Any broadcast. Broadcast is a technology, as the, as the name in te, uh, in, indicates, that is a one-to-many technology. It's, it's been built from the beginning as a one-to-many technology. There's one point of departure, and then it's been sent to a lot of people at the same time. That's how it's been built from the beginning. Anything delivered through the internet, the internet is a peer-to-peer -peer technology. It's never been designed as a one-to-many technology, so it's never be going to be as efficient uh, as... It's much better than it used to be, but it's never going to be as efficient as as, to, as broadcast technology. It's, that's a very high level summary of my understanding on it. Don't ask me too many more questions, but I think that's essentially it. Now that does make a lot of sense. Sending uh, sending something to everybody is going to be a lot cheaper in terms of resources than sending a billion things to a billion different people. You would have thought. I'm going to dive into that a little bit more because I am a nerd. Ladies, we we've come to long short. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I will do it democratically uh, by choosing you randomly. <laughs> uh, so long short. We'll start with uh, Maureen, as usual. Uh, Tolkien. Uh, long. Claire. Uh, yeah. I mean, always, always long for Tolkien. As I said, I am a fan, but I'm not as sure about this new version of it, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I just Hold on, long is I, good, right? I can't remember now. Long is good. Long yeah. is good. Short is short. Is short. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't have to go through the rules every Sorry. time. <laughs> we are recording this on a Friday. My brain is slowly going. Yes, long is <laughs> good. Okay, let's go. Uh, be real, Claire. Be real. Honestly, probably short. But I like it. Short. Boring. Uh, sure. I think short as well. This is the first time I've had an opinion yeah. on, on anything. Yeah. Uh, flash in the pan, <laughs> but lovely flash in the pan. It's just nice to see. What it is, it's nice to see people's faces that you quite like every day, just for uh, a couple of seconds. Uh, we've talked on it before, so I'll get Maureen's view. Fast TV as a concept. Maureen. Short. And I think I know yeah, Claire's short. answer. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, let's see how well this episode ages for several reasons. Uh, video podcasts versus audio podcasts, Claire. Uh, long, I mean, but as I said, I don't think they're podcasts anymore. They're chat shows. But, you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said for a good video chat show. So, yes, why not? Yeah, long uh, chat show. Yeah. yeah, a long chat show. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to probably have a shave then uh and this oh we haven't even <laughs> spoken about this um but meta paid features so uh zuckerberg trying to get some money out of us for certain services uh long or short start with claire i'm going with short on the basis that if youtube's never managed to get any money out of anyone i'm not sure facebook will uh so that's my reason for short Mm. I, I'm short. I'm short because of fiscal belt tightening as well. It's just too, too, too much to spend on. And uh, same reason YouTube didn't manage to do it. It's the wrong time to do it. It's wrong almost time. like saying uh, you've got to pay a hundredth of a penny a tweet. That ain't going to happen. Um, that yeah. almost goes against the nature of it, really. But we're there. We've done it. Wow. Uh, I think we've got through everything. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's incredible. We even talked about Galaxy Quest. Um, oh no, one more, one more long short. Actually, um, I'll start with Claire CNN. Uh, I'm going. I'm going to hope long. And Maureen. Uh I'm in agreement with you, Claire, today. I, I, I'm long because it, it, it'll stay there as a brand, minus my favorite, favorite, favorite uh, anchor, Brian Stelter, who sadly lost his job a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm long. Yeah. I looked up that guy, actually, when you mentioned him. He's so young. I'm just so impressed by these. Such a baby. He yeah. Is, and he's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. incredible. How, it's like, how have you learned and got he's so a, good in such a short period of time? teddy bear. He's a and he's a cuddly teddy bear. <laughs> I don't know whether you can you know, say that about a gentleman his, these days, can you? I know. I'm so sorry about that. But he, he's, you know, he met his wife. She texted him, uh, uh, messaged him to say, I really like your program, blah, blah, blah. And they started chatting. And then about a year later, they're married with a child. Oh, right. We're go. definitely going on YouTube then. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> What a, what a perfect way to end. I hope my wife isn't listening to this. Uh, clearly, I, I'm not using this as a way to... Um... We hope she is. <laughs> well, she's a media type person, so she's a comms kind of lady, so maybe maybe she will. Uh, ladies, as usual, it's been a pleasure. Claire, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Oliver. And Maureen, as ever, thank you so much. Excellent fun, and we'll see you on the next one. Yeah, thank you so much, Oliver. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> C'est pas un problème. Au revoir, wow. pour maintenant. Au revoir. Bye -bye. Au revoir.